Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 40. This is a Psalm of David. It's uh, what's called a Messianic Psalm because uh, it contains at least a portion of what refers specifically to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Later in this psalm, we'll not be looking at those verses tonight, but uh, verses 6 through 8, quoted by the writer to Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 5 through 7, where it says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burn offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. That was applied specifically to the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet it also applies to David who wrote this psalm. And like most Messianic psalms, they do have a, it has a dual reference, both to Christ and to the writer. I said in this case, the writer is David. Now we'll be looking uh, this evening at verses 1 through 3. And uh, it does apply to both Christ and to David. Um, would you please follow with me as I, as I read those verses? I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought, brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear, and will trust in the Lord. One of the blessings of reading the Psalms is they take us through a wide variety of conditions in which we can find ourselves. Um, uh, conditions we often find ourselves in. Uh, William J. Uh, said something. In fact, he uh, he actually quotes two different men in this quote. So you're getting three quotes in one. Uh, it's a great quote. He said, uh, it is a remark of good Matthew Henry, that sweetest of all commentators, that it is impossible to read the book of Psalms without being either inflamed and I think he means by inflamed, you're you're uh, fired up, or to be ashamed by the perusal. He said, let us not fear that we should be ashamed of ourselves, for as Bishop Hall observes, our repenting days are always our best days. Have you ever thought of that? Our repenting days are always our best days. Um, uh, for the Savior says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There is no more prayer more becoming of us than that of the publican. God be merciful to me, a sinner. He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. This psalm was written after David's deliverance from some kind of great, great trouble. But he didn't forget what God had delivered him from. And that we're glad, and we shouldn't forget those things that God has delivered us from. Uh, in Isaiah 
51, verse 1, the Lord says, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. We shouldn't forget what God delivers us from. Uh, Matthew Henry said, Note, it is good for those who are privileged by a new birth to consider what they were by their first birth and how they were conceived in iniquity and shapen in sin. Remember, David confesses that in Psalm 51. Uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh, Matthew Henry said. How hard was the, that rock out of which we were hewn, unapt to receive impressions, and how miserable the whole of that pit out of which we were digged. This consideration of this should fill us with low thoughts of ourselves and high thoughts of divine grace. So it's good to feel, uh, as he said, to feel ashamed at times when we remember what God delivers us from. Uh, now, we want to look at David's, first of all, his horrible condition. Uh, he said, I waited patiently to the Lord. Verse 2, he says, he brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. We're not sure what the circumstances were which David describes here. Uh, and that's probably a good thing that we don't know, because if we knew that he was being chased by his son, whose son was trying to kill him, he said, well, I've never been in that kind of a condition before. But here's something. He just gives us this general condition, but it's a horrible condition. Again, to quote Matthew Henry, he said, he says nothing here of either sickness of his body or the insults of his enemies. And therefore, we have reason to think it was some inward disquiet and perplexity of spirit that now uh, was now his greatest grievance. And despondency of spirit under the sense of God's withdrawings and prevailing doubts and fears about the eternal state are indeed a horrible pit and miry clay and have been so to many a dear child of God. You wouldn't think a Christian would ever feel that way, but Christians can often feel that way. Uh, we are sometimes up on the mountaintops, and we feel like we're going to be there forever. But then we find ourselves down in the valleys, and his feet were stuck in the miry clay. He couldn't get out. He was helpless. And, and that's often the condition in which we find ourselves. And it is a deplorable condition. It's almost a hopeless condition if we didn't have the Lord in which we could hope. Uh, William J. said it may be applied to a state of outward trial arising from the straits of poverty. And sometimes it can be outward afflictions. Physical afflictions can wear us down. Uh, but he said it may be applied to worldly hopes and disappointments, to family bereavements when we lose a loved one. Or to the sickness of the body, it may be to the persecution of the enemies, uh, or even uh, the coldness of friends. We may also apply it, William J. said, to the state of mind arising from doctrinal difficulties and perplexities and from doubts and fears arising from concern about salvation, maybe assurance of salvation, from the hiding of God's face and from sore temptations. The mind, when deprived of confidence and peace, falls into gloom, mediates terror, and takes apprehensions for realities. And we know 
too well that often the inward trials are greater than the outward trials. We would rather be afflicted bodily than to be afflicted in our spirit, in our soul. That can be a very difficult, difficult time. And certainly this is a description uh, of every man's condition because of sin and especially when they're under the conviction of sin. A man not even saved can fall into this horrible pit when he realizes that he's lost, that he's undone before God. And that's a good thing, though. That's a good thing when a man feels that way because then he knows he needs help. And he needs help that man can't give. And so he cries out to the Lord. And so he cries out. And he it's a terrible place. He cannot save himself. Uh, this miry clay. You imagine being uh, falling into some horrible pit like Joseph was thrown into. Uh, but this pit has a bottom that's just miry clay. And the harder he tries to get out, uh, the lower he sinks. And so it is indeed a, a difficult and terrible, terrible place in which he finds himself. But then he cries out to the Lord. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. That's what he did when he found himself in this horrible condition. He cries out to the Lord. This is often one of the last places we look. We look everywhere else for help. We speak to our neighbors. We speak to our friends and our family. But here the psalmist cries out to the Lord. Uh, David cried out to him. And men look to other things. Uh, those who are not Christians, and sometimes Christians may even indulge in these same things. Worldly pleasures or sex and drugs, alcohol, money, possessions. They're, they're looking for something to relieve them of this oppression they feel so deeply. Uh, maybe they can even become bitter and angry because of the condition they, they're in. They, uh, they, they're morose. They, they don't want to talk. They they're, uh, feel like they've been treated unjustly and often by God Himself. They want to point the finger at God that you've put me here uh, and not to even acknowledge that they are there because of their own sins, uh, but uh, they, they blame the Lord. Now, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And that means when he cried, uh, the Lord did not immediately answer. That's why he had to wait. And he waited patiently. Some wait anxiously, but he waited patiently. His spirit was calm within him in trusting the Lord. He believed in the Lord. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So he, he had faith in waiting for the Lord. He believed the Lord would indeed come to His relief in His own time. Now, he, of course, He wants Him to come now, but God doesn't always come immediately. In fact, we might even think He rarely comes immediately because He wants us to learn from the trials in which He Himself has placed us. But David did believe in the Lord. He believed that He would come to His relief. That's why he cries out to Him. That's why he waits patiently. 
He believed that God was able to deliver him. He wasn't just crying out to a a helpless God who's just watching and waiting as, as he was. He was crying out to a God who could actually do something about it. The gods of the pagans could do nothing. They couldn't see. They couldn't hear. They had no arms. They couldn't move. But God is in heaven and He does whatever He pleases. God could deliver him. He believed that God was faithful and would deliver him. Because God has promised, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will do what? I will deliver you. That's a promise from God. It's not a promise to God to anyone and everyone. Those who reject Him, He says, one day you'll call out to me and I won't listen. But He never says that to His children. He says to His children, call upon me and I will deliver you. And we are children of God by faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as His children, we call out to Him as a faithful God. As our Heavenly Father, He has promised that He would deliver us. Matthew Henry says, There is power enough in God to help the weakest and grace enough in God to help the unworthiest of all of His people that trust Him. He's powerful and He's gracious. So David cries out to Him. I cried out to the Lord. He he heard my cry like a child who's been... Uh, who hurt himself and cries out and the parent hears and comes. But then we see uh, the Lord's response to his cry. What did the Lord do when he cried out? Well, he says in verse 1 that he inclined to me. The God in heaven inclined his ear to us. What a an act uh, of God's condescension that he who sits on the throne of heaven Here's the cry of his child way down there in the pit. He hears their cry. That's the kind of God we have. He hears us. He listens to us. He inclined to me. He, he heard my cry. God was never indifferent to his distress. He doesn't willingly afflict the children of men, he says. He knows our condition. He hears our cry. What a gracious God this is. He also brought me up, he says, out of this horrible pit. There was great deliverance. It was a horrible pit. The miry clay, his feet were stuck. Uh, But this was no obstacle for God. God could bring him out of the lowest pit. And you might find yourself in the lowest pit at times. You wonder there's no help. There's no help for me. Maybe you even think as the psalmist sometimes cries out, there's no help for me and God. I cried out, but He's not listening. The heavens seem like brass, but the promise of God is that He will hear and He will deliver His children. He knows our condition. He, he hears our cry. He knows we have need of things. And He's offered great deliverance. He brought me up out of this horrible pit. William J. said, what a release. (laughs) What a change. So unlikely and unlooked for. A change so great he could hardly realize it. And that's happened how God does this. We, We want Him to deliver us and sometimes the deliverance is so much greater than our prayer. So much greater than our expectation. 
He delivered us. Jay says he would feel somewhat like the Jews when God turned their captivity and they were brought back into the land. They were like men that dreamed. Or he says it might be like Jacob must have felt when he was rescued from the hand of Esau. God gives great, great deliverance. I'm sure you've seen that in your own life where you ask, but you feel like you asked in unbelief, not in faith, but in unbelief because of the great deliverance which God brought. And then it says, He set my feet upon a rock, a place of safety, a place of security. He doesn't take you and bring you out of the pit to throw you in another. He doesn't bring you out of the pit to throw you into the ocean. No, He puts your feet upon a rock, the place of safety. He established my steps. God rescued him. That's what God does to those who call out to Him in repentance and faith. He he rescues them from their sin and their condition. He rescued them. And He says in verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. That's the thanksgiving that we have for God's great deliverance. We see what He has done. And we give Him praise and thanksgiving. That's why we're to pray with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for His past deliverances. Even thanksgiving for His future deliverances. But He has put a new song in my mouth. Even praise to our God. Not the cry of grumbling and complaining, but of praise to God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Uh, This deliverance brings fresh matter for praise. In coming to Christ, we're new creatures, and we look back at the old life, and we look back at the horrible pit that we had been living in, and God delivered us. Thinking is sharing with someone of the the passage in in um, Titus three. It's one of my favorite passages where Paul talks about we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's our old condition. But he says, after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appear. He comes on the scene to rescue us from that horrible pit of our sins. And he brings us out of that. And he puts this new song, even of praise to our God, the psalmist says. Praise to Him who saved us. Praise to Him who delivered us. And notice he says, many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. You see, others are, are observing our condition and our response to that condition. If they see us complaining like the rest of the world, they take no notice except God doesn't hear him. See? Look at him. He's in the same condition I'm in. And they take no real significant notice But when they see a child of God suffering under affliction and great affliction and they're enduring it with patience and they're crying out to the Lord in hope 
they take notice. And then when they see God deliver them in some way, or even in that condition itself, they see this, and they see it and fear, and many will trust in the Lord. When they see the Christian suffering in such a way, this is a good witness of what God does. That His grace is sufficient. His grace can bring me through these trials, the greatest of trials. And some of you have been through such deep, deep waters. And yet God has brought you through. And others notice. Your children notice. Your friends notice. Even your enemies will notice. And it is a witness to them of the greatness and the goodness of our God. That He can deliver and He does deliver. And He is our God. And so they will trust in the Lord. They will turn to Him when they see that there is hope in this world. We're not living like the pagans in whom there is no hope. But we are living as Christians, as children of the heavenly King. And He takes care of His children. Let's pray together. Gracious Father,